Welcome, folks. This is Mark Steiner. Good to have you with us for another podcast on our lead up to the Annapolis Summit. And we want you to join us there on January the 10th, your chance to talk to the governor, speak of the House of Presidents about the issues you care about. We'll be telling you how to do that in just a few minutes. But first, let me introduce our panel today. We're going to talk about criminal justice issues. The latest article with our print partner, The Daily Record, was on criminal justice and criminal justice issues facing the state legislature in this session. And uh, we are tackling one aspect of that, which we've done now for a good 25 years almost, uh, and that's bail reform and more. We are here with Karen York, who is executive director of the Jobs Opportunities Task Force, Nicole Mundell, who is executive director of Out for Justice, and Doug Colbert, professor of law at the University of Maryland School of Law, who's been a voice for bail reform in Maryland for the last quarter century. And folks, good to have you with us. Nice to be here, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Happy New Year. Happy New New Year, everybody. And here we go again. So bail reform is still at the top of the agenda in many ways. Um, But let's let's talk a bit first. I'm curious about, I remember last session, um, we covered bail bail reform with some intensity. And at the end, it came down to really the power of the bail bonds industry, the split in the legislative black caucus in Annapolis, the other splits inside the Democratic Party over this issue, um, and it came down to the last minute when Speaker of the House Michael Bush decided not to allow the bills to come to the floor that would have, in essence, been the bail bonds industry's bill that would have killed the reform efforts that you all have been fighting for for a long time. So now it seems we're in limbo land now. The, uh, the courts are all confused about what to do. Judges do whatever they want to do. They either have, give people more people their own recog or more people are being denied bail. So where are we with all this? I mean, and what does it portend for the session coming up? When does it begin? Right. I, I think Karen it, York. Well, I, I think it um, actually makes sense for, I'm going to kick it off to Professor Colbert to um, just remind us of the power of the bail bond industry, and then we could kind of quickly talk about how that power of the industry influenced many of our key legislators in the last legislative session, particularly the caucus, and then how that kind of set us up for what we're gearing up for in 2018. But, you know, as you mentioned, Professor Colbert has been a voice, you know, for this for decades, and so he truly knows the power of the industry, so... Well, and Mark, before I I talk about what a big, important year we had last year in terms of major victories, I don't think any of those victories could have taken place without the work of the coalition. And the coalition is such a broad uh, group of people representing community, representing uh, progressive members of the legal community. Um, And with those folks actively engaged, we were able to overcome the enormous power and influence of the bond insurance uh, lobby. So you say, let me just ask a question, a political question before we get into the heart of where we're going. Uh, You say that, but the bill almost went down in flaming defeat. Your work almost went down in flaming defeat. If it had not been for uh, uh, Speaker Bush and not allowing it to come to the floor, uh, the vote would have taken place and the bail bonds would win. So what do you mean? Well, let's just begin at the beginning, though, Mark, because the work of the Court of Appeals really cannot be overlooked and should be highlighted here. The Court of Appeals revised Maryland rules, Maryland procedures having to do with with money bail. Um, And when they voted uh, unanimously in February of 2017 to revise uh, the law and to remind judges that people are not supposed to be held in jail solely because they can't afford the bail money. 
Um, that has been a major reason why we have so much over-incarceration of low-income and poor people. Um, and when that rules change took place, it was such a major piece because the rule also says that money should not be used to allow dangerous people to get out of jail. Because right now, if, if you're a violent person um, and you have the money to pay bail, you're free. But if you're somebody who doesn't have money, you stay in jail. So having that victory at the beginning of the year, then we went into the legislative forum knowing that's the bail bondsman's home ballpark. So, but I'm just curious, what changes this year in terms of the political legislative battle that's different than last year when it was so hard to get anything out of committee, to get anything to the floor, sure. to not be stymied by the bail bonds industry? So this year um, is an election year, and so as we know, uh, legislative sessions, York, yeah, um, yeah. legislative sessions that occur during election year, you either have legislators that are either nervous to do anything because they're concerned about their reelection um, chances, or they are going to move very boldly to um, promote their reelection chances. And so last session, because this idea of pretrial reform was so confusing um, and contentious for many legislators, even though the right steps were taking in terms of defeating the bail bond industry bill, and um, to also be clear, the advocates actually abandoned our efforts. We actually withdrew our own bill, which would have codified the Court of Appeals rule, to actually solely focus efforts on defeating the bail bond industry. And so last session was not an election year, but now that this is an election year, and now that the Court of Appeals ruling took effect on July 1st, and since then, we've started to hear um, a number of um, instances where, yes, we have more and more individuals who are being released on their own recognizance. These are individuals who are not a flight risk or a public safety danger. But we're also hearing that more individuals are being held without bond. This means that our judges, um, in effect, uh, don't feel comfortable with releasing them on their own recognizance, and because they don't have options in terms of where to connect them regarding pretrial, they are then holding them. And so as we gear up for the legislative session, that is our focus. How can we invest in pretrial services to provide an opportunity for judges to be able to connect folks with services instead of just holding them if they don't feel comfortable retaining them? This is also a key component of the rule that was not implemented. Mm -hmm. a, a, the, the, almost the last piece of the rule was for the legislature to invest the resources that would allow for pretrial services across the state and for a risk assessment tool. And so this upcoming session during an election year, um, given the fact that we have the dynamics of the soaring murder rate in Baltimore City and everyone is concerned about what's gonna happen in terms of public safety and criminal justice, you're gonna have a number of legislators that are gonna return to Annapolis, both inside and outside of Baltimore City, that are gonna claim that this rule is the reason why we're seeing what we're seeing in Baltimore City and the reason why so many people are being discriminated in our criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And they're going to try to do everything possible to undo this rule because the bail bond industry spent a lot of money last year to lose. They knew that the monies that they invested in, legislature, in the legislators were going to ensure that this rule would be dismantled in some way, shape, or form, and it was not. It took effect in July without any tampering. And so they have been gearing up even more, and I know Professor Colbert and Nicole can speak to this because we're already starting to see it. They are gearing up even more where you're starting to hear legislators and others talking about, oh, we've got to do something. We don't think this rule is working. And... And the, the rule is succeeding. We're, you know, we're finding that um, folks who, folks are being, low-level low offenders who really don't deserve to be in jail and need to be let out so that they can obtain 
um, an, an attorney, go back to raising their families, they are being released. And those who are high risk are standing and stand behind bars. And I think what's important is that I want folks to know that the same amount of advocacy that our um, folks in the prospective districts and um, it just needs to be kept up. We need folks to continue to call their lawmakers to let them know to preserve uh, the court rule. We need folks to continue to write letters, continue to let your legislators know that you're watching. Um, and, you know, Out for Justice, being the only directly impacted organization on the Bail Coalition, will um, be in Annapolis um, as often as possible, at least what? three days a week or more um, and we'll be organizing with individuals um, and Baltimore County Prince George's County every other county to educate folks about how we pres how we preserve um, the court rule and how we make sure that we want folks to want the legislators to know that we want them to invest in pretrial services that that is the part that we need to complete so just quickly out for justice your group is made up of largely made up of ex-offenders well directly right? individuals who are directly impacted by the right. criminal justice. We don't say ex-offenders, Mark. What do we say now? Do you not say ex-offenders. We say individuals with a criminal background or returning citizens if you're returning to okay. society from yes. incarceration. Thank you, Mark. And it's so important, Mark, not to be misled by the campaign that we're mm -hmm. about to face because what the bail bond and insurance companies have done is they've, they've actually stolen the language of the reform movement. Mm -hmm. So they call themselves reformers, where really what the bail bond and insurance company, they're part of ALEC, they're part of the private enterprise system, mm -hmm. where they, they look at profit as the guiding principle. And what that means is that the bail bondsmen have lost a lot of money in the past year because when judges are releasing people on recognizance, putting them on pretrial supervision, or when they're denying bail, that's money that's not going into the pockets of mm -hmm. the bail bondsmen. Bail bondsmen receive a 10% non-refundable fee every time someone gets out of jail. The Able Foundation back in 2002 did a report where they estimated right. almost $150 million was generated mm -hmm. in terms of those fees. That money gets distributed. In Baltimore City. It's, that's a statewide number. That's a statewide number. number. Um, off the backs of poor um, people, though. Yeah, off the backs of poor people, which means that low-income working people, they have a choice. They either pay the 10% or they stay in jail for the next 30 to 40 days. So what you're going to be hearing very soon is an effort for the bondsmen to call themselves the reformers. But what they're really saying is you have to have money to regain your freedom. And we question that whole principle because when people are without money— they could easily be uh, monitored and supervised by a pretrial agency that would allow people to get jobs, would allow people to go back to school, allow them to go back to their family instead of losing all those things when they spend that time in jail. So we really need the community to do what it did this past year. They spoke up, they came down to Annapolis, and they spoke to their legislative officials. And they followed the money. Follow the money. That's one good way to hold your legislators accountable. Um, you know, at a key time during the 2017 legislative session, Common Cause Maryland issued a report that followed the money pretty much, and it showed that 
Maryland legislators, two of our Maryland legislators were some of the, were two of the top recipients of bail bond um, campaign contributions in the nation, and these were the chairs of um, the House Judiciary and Senate Judicial Proceedings Committee, respectively. And so when you know that um, your lawmakers, your representatives, are receiving monies from this industry, and then in turn they are obstacles to um, legislative proposals that would dismantle this industry, this lucrative industry that these individuals are benefiting from, and you be, you're able to connect the dots, um, it provides an opportunity for us to put that information in front of the lawmaker and have them explain it and explain their position. Uh, because many of this um, folks aren't talking about, or they weren't talking about until it became clear that Maryland actually is paying the play when it comes to bail. And the judiciary has spoken here, Mark, and that's so important, a unanimous high court said that we need change, that too many people are spending time in jail when they should be back home. And when the highest court speaks unanimously and then the political forces say, no, 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 that's not good for business, that's when the public has to appreciate that we have to allow our judicial system to function the way it was supposed to operate. So I, I'm curious, though, I do want to come back to where I left off as I asked that question, uh, because I think that the question becomes political strategy and how you get done what you want to get done. I mean, this has been a battle that's been going on for decades now. <laughs> um, and it's Since taken 1998. 20 years more. That's, that's a couple of decades? Yeah. It's more? a couple right? of decades. Um, but the issue has been discussed in Maryland since 1972. Yeah. So, that so, it, so what I'm saying is, so what, so, a couple of things. I mean, how do you, how do you, when you have a recalcitrant legislature in terms of voting for bail reform in any meaningful way. You've got a very powerful lobby in the bail bonds industry. And quite frankly, you have a lot of people who don't really care about this issue because it affects poor black people, whether they live in Baltimore City, Prince George's County, or any place else in the state of Maryland, um, and poor people in general. So, I mean, so how do you strategically get this through. I mean, last year what could have been a banner year, but clearly it got stymied. So, um, and and there were even differences inside the bill reform movement about what to push and how to push it and how far to push it. So, so what do you all think is going to be different this year? What What is going to be, how will this become front and center as one of the criminal justice issues to push? Because they're going to be pushing uh, issues uh, like cyberbullying, which is going to be Bobby Zirkin's baby issue, and um, other issues around that. So, so how do you how do you see this changing? The gun stocks and more. So I have two thoughts, and I'm pretty sure that Nicole and Professor this is Colbert, Karen York um, have some thoughts too. So um, my thoughts on given those dynamics, how we can still maintain this issue as a top priority um, and ensure that it gets the necessary attention and support. Two things. It's twofold. Uh, the first is the national context. Bail reform, in essence, has um, it's really elevated to a national conversation, and I think that there there are a number of reasons, but I think the easiest to um, go to um, is the Khalif Browder story in New York, um, and you know the documentary Thirteenth uh, that you know talks about um, you know these national groups that are invested in. Um, ensuring that individuals have to pay for their freedom and how this disproportionately impacts 
uh, poor black and brown folks. And so the fact that this is now a national conversation, the fact that you have um, the bail bond industry so laser focused on President Trump and trying to get him and Attorney General Sessions to use his Department of Justice to turn back the tide in terms of what um, his predecessor, Attorney General Eric Holder, did um, around pretrial reform and ensuring that we were not holding uh, poor people because they could not afford it. Um, it's become very clear that they are trying to change the tide nationally, and that is starting to trickle down to your state and local level. So because of that, that is what's going to keep the issue elevated um, and in the forefront. But also on the flip side, just taking it back to this idea that it's, it is an election year. And right now the conversation is centered around um, the lack of access to opportunities for you know our working families, our poorest of the poor. But more importantly, folks are starting to realize the impact of the criminal justice system on the economic, you know, mobility and sustainability um, and security of many of our most disadvantaged residents. Those who you know cycle in and out of the criminal justice system, and and pretrial is the is the entry point. It's the biggest piece, and so. Folks are talking about it. They're realizing that if we want to do something about our communities, we have to change the criminal justice system. And so they're talking about bail, but they don't necessarily know what exactly it is that has to be done. And that's where we come in to remind them to say, we know this is an issue that has to be taken care of. We know this is an issue that must stay elevated um, and, you know, the front runner um, in the hearts and minds of us all. But we all have to be on the same page and be very clear about what is necessary to ensure that we're doing um, what is um, important to move this forward. Um, and, and I think, you know, thinking, thinking locally, you know, I think that people are waking up more now than ever before. I think last year's uh, session really opened the eyes of some um, of our registered voters and some and some folks who beforehand did not understand how important Annapolis was. And I think Karen calls it the renaissance. It'll be, what do, you, what do you say, Karen? The renaissance of the grassroots community. Right. You know, and that's what we feel about 2018 legislative session. This is the folks are waking up about how important Annapolis is in our everyday lives and how the legislative process plays a major part in reforming the criminal justice system and all other issues that pertain to Baltimore City and just the state, period. Mm -hmm. um, I think it will be important for us to also, I mean, in Baltimore, we know that um, black women make up 46% of the vote. And these are the folks that the lawmakers listen to, right? These are seasoned uh, voters who vote in the primary, in every primary and every general election. And they are beginning to feel the crop of mass incarceration because many of their family, their you know friends, their sons, their daughters are getting caught up in the criminal justice system. And now they're having to bear the brunt of dealing with their children, helping them pay their bills, being a support system for them. And so they're, they're waking up and they're learning the roles of legislators more so now than ever. And so I think that um, if we continue to educate registered voters, and even, even you know, now over 40,000 individuals who've been impacted by the criminal justice system have the right to vote. And so this is 40,000 individuals 
who we are now, who have always been educated, have been waiting for the opportunity to determine someone's job, and they know that their vote determines lawmakers' jobs. They can, you know, they can hire and fire them through their vote. And so folks are waking up. And so this idea that um, this is not, you know, concerning to registered voters and bail reform and pretrial reform is, you know, something that folks are not thinking about. They're thinking about it. They've been woke. And, you know, we're going to see an influx of advocates coming to Annapolis in 2018 more so than we have ever. And so I'm, I'm super excited about and, and the work that the, the work that Nicole and Karen are talking about, the Leaders for a Beautiful Struggle, other grassroots organizations, is accompanied by some of our leading public officials. Attorney General Frosch has been a major proponent of change and eliminating this kind of race and class discrimination that takes place with a money bail system. You have Speaker Bush, who almost single-handedly prevented the bondsman from overturning the bill last year. So we, we're much stronger this year, Mark. Plus, I think there's going to be an anti-Trump vote also that's going to see through the bondsman. They're going to see through what they're talking about is money in their pockets. And that's really what it comes down to. People should not have to pay to regain liberty. And so we, we don't want our jails. We want our jails filled with people only who represent a clear danger to other people, people who are not going to return to court. But what we also want to do is we want to make sure that the community doesn't lose breadwinners, doesn't lose people in their family, because that undermines the family unit, the community as well. So the, the biggest thing here I think that I'm hearing is if legislators are going to vote with the bondsmen, they do so at their own peril. Um, because this community and the community, not just in the city, but statewide, it is prepared to bring this issue to everyone's attention during an election year. And we want the judiciary's rule to have the chance to flourish. And we don't want to do anything that's going to undermine what the judges have felt is needed for a fair justice system. And, and, and I'll just add... You know, protecting the court rule and investing in pretrial services is important because this is the entity that will deal with the wraparound services that people actually need to keep them out of prison or jail. If folks have real wraparound services, then the likelihood of them returning to jail is very slim to none. Exactly. And so that's what that's what we want to do when we're asking the lawmakers to invest in pretrial services. We're act, asking them to invest in the very people who um, will keep this economy flourished and, and growing. And, help, you know, and, and pretrial service will help to eliminate those barriers for people so that they can, they they won't have interactions with the criminal justice system if they have access and, and the resources. And, that they I, and, and there are a number of actors within the criminal justice system that agree with this. The judges, attorneys, mm -hmm. advocates all agree that there needs to be an investment in services to provide this option to judges because they understand that many times the individuals that are before them regarding pretrial detention are only there because they have not been connected with the very services Nicole mentioned. Job training, educational assistance, drug treatment, mental health assistance, a whole host of services that mm -hmm. we are just not 
not deliberately investing in, but giving lip service to is acknowledging that these are the deterrents to criminal activity. And it's a money saver, Mark. That's the biggest thing also, that the taxpayer pays 10 times as much to keep someone in jail as they do by supervising, by giving people a path that allows them to lead productive lives. Risk assessment works. Pre-trial services uh, agencies that use risk assessment, they're able to help judges make correct decisions. It's not mandatory to follow the recommendation, but it's something that Baltimore County, for instance, uh, the state's attorney there who uh, joined with the public defender to put forward a risk assessment instrument that's actually doing what risk assessment should do. It's in the early stages, but they're already seeing the benefits of that. And the people, the people are watching. Um, we are, the advocates are gearing up in Eastern Shore, Baltimore County, Calvert County, Prince George's County. The advocates are gearing up, and so you lawmakers who represent those districts, you need to be doing the right thing this this 2018 legislative session. So the voices you've been listening to are the voices of the advocates for bail reform in our community, which, again, will be one of the major issues being faced by the state legislature uh, that they have to address. Uh, and I want to thank our three guests all for being here today for this podcast leading up to the Annapolis Summit uh, with our partners here at The Daily Record. And we've been joined in studio by Karen York, who is executive director of the Jobs Opportunities Task Force, Nicole Mundell, Mundell excuse me, uh, who is executive director of Out for Justice, and Doug Holbert, professor of law at the University of Maryland School of Law. Good to have you here Thanks in the studio. It's a pleasure, Mark. And see you all on January the 10th. Join us here at the Annapolis <laughs> Summit. This is how you can do it. So for more of that, join us at the Annapolis Summit. Just go to thedailyrecord.com slash Annapolis dash summit and hit purchase tickets and join us there January the 10th from 730 to 10 a.m. at the Governor Calvert House. Your chance to talk directly to Governor Larry Hogan, Senate President Mike Miller, and House Speaker Michael Bush. Be part of your future. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This program was produced and edited by Calvin Perry with assistance from our intern, Nora Belbidia. You can download the podcast and more at steinershow.org and on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting app. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for The Mark Steiner Show. And please let us know what you think. Write me at mark at steinershow.org. We'll be back in a couple more days with a brand new podcast. <laughs>